No other book has so profoundly impacted so many lives as the Bible. Welcome to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. Today we see where Bildad speaks a third time, but Job interrupts, saying, What good have you done? With this last speech of Job, his three friends say no more. We hope you'll join us as Pastor Daryl continues in Job chapter 25 on Simply the Bible. Job's friends have been doing their best to convince Job what an unrighteous guy he was, but they are running out of things to say because obviously Job believed that he was blameless, he was holding fast to his righteousness, and their attempt at convicting him was just panning out to be nothing. But Bildad would try one last time. We continue in Job chapter 25. Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, Dominion and fear belong to him. He makes peace in his high places. Is there any number to his armies? Upon whom does his light not rise? How then can man be righteous before God? Or how can he be pure who is born of a woman? If even the moon does not shine and the stars are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is a maggot and a son of man who is a worm. So Bildad begins by looking at God's sovereignty. He has dominion and fear belong to him. And there's no number to his armies. His armies are limitless. Nobody can stand against him. But then he says, how can a man be righteous before God? And that's a good question. And really what Bildad has said here is true. Now, Job had made the point that he was blameless, meaning that he had integrity. And we also see that Job would really claim to be righteous and justify himself even before he justified God, which is going to get into trouble for that. But what we see here is, is the complete failure of Job's friends to convict him of sin. Now, they believed that Job had to sin because he was suffering so much, and clearly, according to their theology, only the bad people suffer. So Job, because he was suffering, must have been bad, but they had no success in convicting him of his sin, and rarely do people have success convicting others of sin. Have you ever tried doing that? Have you ever been the victim of somebody trying to convince you that you have sinned? All it makes you want to do is be defensive and point out all of the wrongs that they have done. And so we are far better off, rather than trying to convict people of their sin, to pray that God would reveal himself to them. Because the fact is, when God reveals himself to someone, when we really see ourselves in the light of God's holiness, his perfection, his righteousness, his truth, his power, we cannot help but realize that we are sinners, that we fall short. Now, Bildad said, how can he be pure who is born of a woman? David pointed this out in Psalm 51, 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. 
So we were born into this world as sinners, inheriting a sinful nature. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We're born that way. It's hardwired in us. And also Bildad said, how much less can man be pure who is a maggot and a son of man who is a worm? Now that seems like not such a kind thing to say. Uh, But of course we were made of dust. And God remembers our frame. He knows that we are made of dust. Isaiah 41, 14 says, Fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, says the Lord. And your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. So God even calls Jacob there a worm. And yet he says, look, I will, I will help you, you worm, Jacob. Uh, but on the other hand, David says in Psalm 8, 3, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. So which is it? Are we a little lower than the angels crowned with glory and honor or are we a worm? Well, yes, (laughs) both. See, that's the amazing thing about grace is that God takes worms like us and crowns us with glory and justifies us in spite of the fact that we are sinners. That is the beauty of the gospel. Now, Job answered and said in chapter 26, How have you helped him who is without power? How have you saved the arm that has no strength? How have you counseled one who has no wisdom? And how have you declared sound advice to many To whom have you uttered words and whose spirit came from you? So Job is really laying on the sarcasm here. How have you helped him who is without power? Now, earlier he had called them, you know, miserable comforters. And he also said that surely wisdom will perish with you, that you are the keepers of all wisdom. Now he just says, look, how have you helped anybody? You haven't helped me at all. And the problem was they had not given Job good counsel, not the kind of counsel that someone who is suffering needs to receive. Now that brings up the question, what is the purpose of counsel anyway? Counsel is important. Godly counsel is good. It's not that we try to convict people of their sins. No, rather the counsel we are told to have is the counsel that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 where Paul tells us that we are to seek the gift of prophecy. For the gift of prophecy, that is the fourth telling of God's word, is for the edification and the exhortation and the comfort of the saints. When we think of edification, that is to strengthen the weak. We think of exhortation That is to guide people in the right way. And comfort is to bring consolation to those who are hurting. That is the kind of counsel Job could have used, but it was the counsel that they did not give. Job said, whose spirit came from you? Well, it wasn't God's spirit. It wasn't from the Lord that they were speaking to Job. It was coming from themselves. And that, unfortunately, is the kind of counsel that many people give rather than the spirit-anointed, spirit-empowered counsel that comes from the word of God. Verse 5, The dead tremble, those under the waters and those inhabiting them 
Sheol is naked before him and destruction has no covering. Job now goes into the omnipresence as well as the omnipotence of God. First, the fact that God is everywhere. He says the dead tremble. There's no place you're going to hide from God. Sheol, the grave, is naked before him. And destruction has no covering. It's interesting. Destruction is capitalized there in the New King James Version, really speaking of the ruler over the dead. Uh, As we know from Revelation, the ruler over the bottomless pit, and we can guess who that is. But there's no hiding from God's presence. David pointed this out. Psalm 139.7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. And so this idea that there's no place in the universe, even in hell, where God does not have jurisdiction. You can't run away from God. He is in control over it all. And he's even using Satan as his instrument for as long as he decides to do that. He stretches out the north over the empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. Now that's interesting because the book of Job is probably the oldest book of the Bible, and yet Job here is speaking of God hanging the earth on nothing. Compare that to the Hindu belief that there's a great tortoise, and on top of that were Uh, elephants that held up the earth, or you have Greek mythology that shows Atlas holding up the sphere of the cosmos. You know, uh, Job says, look, God just hangs the earth on nothing and just shows you uh, the source of Job's wisdom here. He binds up the water in his thick clouds, yet the clouds are not broken under it. How amazing is that? that God is able to store so much water up in the clouds. And of course, we see in Genesis where those were broken up, the firmament was broken up, and that is what led to the great flood. He covers the face of his throne and spreads his cloud over it. So we can't see the throne of God. It's covered from our view, and yet he spreads his cloud of glory over it. He drew a, a circular horizon on the face of the waters at the boundary of of light and darkness. Again, a circular horizon. Now, how did Job know that? If you've ever seen pictures from outer space of when the sun is just coming over the sphere of the earth and you see that boundary uh, across the circular horizon as light is now coming across from the sun, it's it's beautiful to, to see that. And yet here is Job really describing the circular horizon. As, as it hits the face of the waters. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at his rebuke. This is speaking of the mountains, which are like pillars extending from you know, the earth up into the heavens. He stirs up the sea with his power and by his understanding, he breaks up the storm. Uh, think about just the power of the waves of the sea and the storms that can come. And, and of course, when Jesus got up and rebuked the, the waves and the wind, you know, uh, immediately the disciples thought, this is the Son of God. Who else can do that? Uh, have such control over the wind and the waves. By his spirit, he adorned the heavens. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Now, this fleeing serpent is known as Leviathan. It was this great sea monster, and Isaiah speaks of it, Isaiah 27 
1, he said, In that day the Lord with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, that twisted serpent, and he will slay the reptile that is in the sea. So was it real? I think it was. I think it was. But it also symbolizes just this opposition against God's order. And I think the fact that it was called here a serpent speaks of that old serpent, Satan, who will ultimately be destroyed by God, as we see in the book of Revelation. Uh, but God is, you know, omnipotent over this great sea monster. Indeed, these are the mere edges of his ways. This is just a, a fraction of what God is like, his, his ways, his character, Job is saying. How small a whisper we hear of him. Now, Job did not have the full revelation of the word of God such as we have, but what he did have was just a whisper of God's voice. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? So God's power, his thunderous power, what all does it mean? What all is God up to in the world right now, today? What all is happening in the world today? We have such a small concept of what God is doing. Why? Because as God said, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. Job's point here is that God is awesome. And yes, we would have to agree and say amen. You've been listening to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. For more information about our church, please visit our website at calvarytv.org. To listen to other episodes, go to 941thevoice.com or check out our iTunes podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please contact us through our website. Tomorrow, we'll see where Job clings to his own righteousness and refuses to speak any wickedness. He then expounds on the destiny of the godless. We hope you'll join us as we continue in the book of Job on Simply the Bible.